I am so excited to have these next two guests on the CJ Evolution podcast. Keith Notek is a retired sheriff sergeant and police commander with over 30 years of combined experience in California, and Mario Oliveira, retired law enforcement professional, again with many years. He's a book author, co-founder of the Violently Injured Police Officers Organization. He's a public speaker, president of New England COP, COPS, and both are on the show. Everybody has a story that served in law enforcement and the first responder field, and most of the time, it is riddled with despair, stressed, angst, in this case with Mario getting shot several times and living to tell the story. It truly is a miracle. These guests are inspirational and motivational, and best of all, they are going to help you take that step forward if you need assistance. Keith Notek, Mario Oliveira, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. You know, as a law enforcement officer, we are constantly being presented with various forms of identification, and you're expected to positively ID the people you encounter, but today's counterfeit IDs are practically impossible to differentiate from real ones. Without the certainty of knowing their true identity, your confidence wanes as you contemplate the consequences of an incorrect assessment. You deserve the proper tools to ensure your safety and your community depends on you to protect them. Backup has arrived. SureScan puts the power to identify fake IDs with 99.9% accuracy right in the palm of your hands. It was created by an active law enforcement officer who understands the importance of checking IDs in a way that's simple, fast, and unquestionably accurate. Visit surescan.us forward slash CJ Evolution to schedule your demo and see how well SureScan Age ID can help you stay safe while you're protecting your community. Visit surescan.us forward slash CJ Evolution. You know, sometimes the helpers need help, meaning first responders, meaning you. If you are suffering, going through challenges, personal and professional, please reach out today. FHE Health and their Shatterproof Program for First Responders is here for you. 866-768-9792. That's 866-768-9792. Call 24-7, and it's 100% confidential. Or you can call me directly. Again, 100% confidential, 303-960-9819. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited to have my next guests on the show. The next gentleman and the first gentleman I'm going to introduce is Keith Notech. Now, we've been trying to get together for a long time, and we finally made it happen. And he's joined by his friend, Mario Oliveira. Both of them are veterans uh, in this great profession we call law enforcement. And I am such, it's such an honor to have them here today. Keith, Mario, welcome, both of you. Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, yeah, it's, you know, we were talking a little bit, Keith, before uh, about how, you know, there's so much going on in law enforcement right now. You spent 30 years in law enforcement. I know, Mario, you spent a lot of time. You both have what you've gone through, which is a bunch of horrible things. I mean, what do you think, and I know this is a broad question, what do you think the challenges going ahead with law enforcement are? I mean, there's retention, there's all kinds of other things. What do you, what do you think, Keith? Oh, man. You know, first and foremost, I think that um, uh, the challenges in the profession right now um, at this pivotal time, is it's still mental health. There's always been a mental health crisis in the profession over the years. You just never heard about it because nobody was willing to speak of it. And fortunately, we're getting better. You know, uh, folks like the three of us right now, you know, are, are, you know, being transparent and willing to discuss it, willing to talk about it and willing to share our strength, joy and hope with others. But it hasn't always been the case. And um, we still need to, to break that stigma that goes along with seeking mental health help in the law enforcement profession. Absolutely. And you, you both have gone through, like I said before, you know, some serious crap, for lack of a better word. Um, and, and people, you know, and you, you both know this, you know, the average person out there, I don't mean average in a bad way, but civilian, you know, might have like a handful of terrible events that happen throughout their life. Law enforcement, you both know, and I'm not just talking about law enforcement, first responders, fire, EMS, corrections, you know, they, they see it on a daily basis. And there's so much, only so much one person or human being can, can see of that before it starts manifesting in other ways. Mine was you know, the attempted suicide of my son, a horrible divorce, you know, things I saw in the military, law enforcement career, you guys know. Uh, and then it started manifesting. So uh, if we can, I, you know, if we're comfortable, Keith, can you, can you tell us a little bit uh, about some of the, the challenges that you dealt with, sir? And then we'll go to Mario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I used to not like to talk about these things, but mm-hmm. I've learned that, you know, therapy. Talking, yeah. yeah, talking is therapy, man. It's cathartic. Yeah. So um, first time I was shot at my career was in 88. It was kind of a nothing deal. Um, uh, as far as shootings go, uh, 97, I was in a a foot pursuit, um, and and I was a brand new Sergeant. Uh, I'd only been in my new position for like six months. So I'm trying to learn how to be a, a watch commander and all this stuff. And one of my deputies and I get in a foot chase, which turns into a running gun battle. Um, my deputy was struck five times by gunfire, um, his vest stopped everything. However, the fatal round penetrated just above the, uh, the Kevlar. Uh, sadly, Randy uh, was killed in that gunfight. The, um, the suspect was killed in that gunfight. And I was the only survivor. And um, I had survivor's guilt. Yeah. Um, you know, in 97, 
post-traumatic stress wasn't really a, a buzzword. You know, it hadn't really become, it hadn't caught on until after the first Gulf War. Um, and, or actually after uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I felt terrible and, and, and there was something wrong with me. I'd hear gunfire in my sleep and, and such. Um, but I sucked it up because that's, that's what my training officers taught me to do in, in the mid eighties, when I was at the new kid on the block, you know, suck it up, you know, uh, go have a couple of shots, you know, maybe some beer, you know, wash down your troubles, you know, shake it off and go to work the next day. So that was the approach I took. Um, but it, it, the, the drinking hadn't gotten really bad yet, um, and then, you know, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here to, to both of you and, and the listeners, but, um, you know, there's a thing called uh, cumulative stress, yeah. uh, which, you know, over the years it builds up. Um, so after that shooting in 97, I was subsequently involved in, <clears throat> in another one in 2002 on a traffic stop. And then um, I had gone through by let's see, 2004, no, 2005, I had gone through my second divorce. So there was the work stuff and there was the the personal personal stuff going on, which just compounded everything and exacerbated it. So um, I would, you know, I I drank more um, just to numb the pain. The thing about alcohol is it's, it's legal, it's socially acceptable, it's cheap. You go to the store, you buy a bottle, you know, you numb numb the pain and it works until it doesn't. Yeah. Um, And then in uh, 2008, I was involved in another shooting where uh, some deputies and I were pinned down by gunfire on an Indian reservation in Southern California for over an hour. And um, that resulted in... um, two fatalities, both suspects were, were killed. Uh, and then five days after that incident, I married my now current wife. That's how law enforcement works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so glad you're, you're here, brother. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster and, you know, you know, and you both know, you know, I, I talk to a lot of young people who want to get into the field. Thank God there are still people that do. And I tell people like, it's not what you see on TV. It's not what you see on the movies. I mean, that's, it's, that's Hollywood. It's the movies, you know, just keep your head down, learn as much as you can take care of yourself. Cause that's the, the key is to, to take care of yourself mentally and physically, because it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. Absolutely. You know, it's going to be a ride. So Mario, what about you, sir? I forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit about your background, sir. And yeah, so what you've I, been um, through. yeah I um, got on the job in 1998. Was a patrolman for five years and then became a detective. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, I was assigned as a task force officer with the ATF in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a, a, a very good career up until that point. My first year on the, on the ATF, I got over 200 guns off the streets of Boston. And then in late 2010, I began to investigate a, um, a criminal who was trafficking firearms from New Hampshire into Boston. Mm-hmm. And, and um, known gang members 
And these guns were being recovered at various crime scenes, murders, drive-by shootings, etc. Well, I identify who the straw purchaser is. I bring him in. He confesses, subsequently confesses to everything. Give him an opportunity. I was always a fear cop. Didn't want to arrest him. Gave him an opportunity to work as a cooperating source. Mm -hmm. Only to have him screw me over. Never showed up the next day. So the chase was on. And then a month later, it just so happened I was working with my partner. And we, um, on a whim, just went by his house to see if he was around. And sure as hell, he was home. Try to effect an arrest. He was in the car. I opened the car door, grabbed him, tried to extract him out of the vehicle, place him in cuffs. My my attention was drawn to my sergeant for a split second. When I looked over the roof of the car to see what he was what he wanted, I looked back down, and the guy had a gun. Oh, I'm sorry, guys, you broke up a little bit, Mario. I'm sorry. You, you... Six times a point blank range with a 40 caliber. Jesus. I had no vest. I had nothing. It took five rounds to my chest and stomach, my torso, and one round to my forearm. I was rushed to the hospital. I was, I died three times in the hospital and was brought back to life three times. Jeez. My God. I'm glad you're here, man. Um, yes. Back to work in five months. What happened to the suspect? He's no longer with us. Let's just say that. Okay. All right. I figured. And, uh, I'm glad you're here, brother. I mean, um, yeah. And, and obviously you probably, well, I shouldn't make assumptions, but you, you had some issues, obviously it's an understatement. I'm sorry. After I that. Had, I had a lot of issues. Yeah. So I, I went back to work in five months, um, lied to myself. I lied to my doctor. I lied to my family. I just wanted to be me again. Yeah. I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to take care of my family. I wanted to suffer a major heart attack. And then subsequent to that, a, a stroke left me paralyzed my whole left side jeez jeez what do you what do you both tell people you i'm sure you 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 talk to a lot of people you talk to people still on the job and you talk to people that are struggling i'm assuming absolutely uh, what do you tell them you know people that are struggling keith and mario about stepping forward how do you get people because in my opinion, that's that's the hardest thing is to try to convince somebody. And that's part of my job now, because we got that rapport. You know, we're all cops or first responders. OK, we connect instantly. But it's a matter of taking that next step right now and, and taking that step. OK, all right. Now, this is what I need you to do, brother or sister. I need you to get on a plane. I need you to have somebody go down with you uh, to treatment. What do you guys say to people? Because that is some of the toughest conversations that I have had in my new role? Well, when I talk to people, <clears throat> especially law enforcement, I try to assure them that whatever they say to me is in confidence. Absolutely. Um, that anything they tell me isn't going to shock me because I've probably been there too, been there, done that. Um, you know, I've been down that slippery slope and I'm living proof that there's a lot, you know, light at the, at the end of the dark, dark tunnel um, that they're going through. And, you know, I tell them to talk to me, find out what's on their mind, um, what the deep rooted problems are, even though I already usually have a pretty good idea. <clears throat> and then I refer them out to resources mm -hmm. um, whenever possible. Um, you know, 
like licensed professionals. I'm yeah, not a absolutely. licensed professional. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've I'm trained in critical incident stress management. I'm a trained public safety chaplain now. But in, that next level of care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and try to get them to that next level of care. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the thing with me, and I don't want to make it about me, but but I think it's applicable, is when I was going through difficult times, you know, Keith, and I didn't want to talk to anybody that wasn't a first responder. Yep. And that's not a dig on people out there who are civilians that are not first responders. I'm not, that's not about that. Right. But I remember when I was going through tough times, you know, I started talking to a counselor. I made her cry. And I was thinking, well, how am I, am I you helping me or am I helping you? Uh, so I wanted to talk to first responders that got it. You and I can get on the phone or you, us three, Mario, we can all get on the phone and we all get it. Okay. We, we've been there. We've, you know, it's like Mario's incident was horrible. I've never been through that. I can't imagine, but we're all, we were all cops. So we have that connection, right? You know, and that's the one thing that I think, because a lot of first responders, you know, they just want to make sure that they're around people that they can trust. And that is huge. Absolutely. Um, you know, where, you know, you may have a PhD who's an academic and, and, you know, they're a talking head in the corner of the room taking yeah. notes, but they don't, they haven't established that credibility, you know, street creds like you and I have, because we've, we've been there, we've walked that walk, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and we have, uh, we can speak with authority on what we're talking about because we lived it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you, what do you now, Mario up in mass? Cause that's where you are. If, if, if the listeners can't tell he's from Massachusetts, <laughs> what's the, what's the state of law enforcement in terms of retention and recruitment up where you are, uh, Mario? It's pretty, it's pretty pathetic. Yeah. So um, I know, I'm sure you guys know about post. Yeah. The post restrictions, uh, chiefs are dropping like flies. Chiefs of police are all retiring. We have senior officers retiring early, getting out early, um, buying back their military time, et cetera. The biggest complaint that I see in my current profession, um, and it's in law enforcement, is they're not getting the quality candidates to apply for this job anymore. Yeah, that's that everywhere, brother. And that's the biggest problem that I see, is they're getting less than stellar people to even apply for this job in this profession. And it's only going to lead to more disasters. Absolutely. I would rather, I always used to tell, cause I was doing a lot of recruitment. I'd rather go short on the street. I know that puts more burden on the street officers than to hire somebody that shouldn't be there. Right. Because you're exactly right. Now you're, I'm not saying people that have, you know, that have maybe, you know, gotten a little trouble or something. I'm not saying they're horrible people. I'm just saying I've seen it before. And you all, you both have, you know, you hire somebody questionable, you're taking a chance and now bam, you got a problem child on your hand that is more problems than it's worth. The other major thing, Patrick, that I see and, and hear from various law enforcement professionals is this new generation, they're on their phones. Oh yeah. They don't know how to communicate with someone one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> they're so used to Snapchatting or Facebooking or whatever platform that they're on, they don't know how to interact with someone face-to-face, one-on-one. Yeah. They lack that verbal judo technique that we once we once had when I was on the job. Yeah, I don't care how technologically advanced we get. Nothing's ever going to beat the the place of face to face communication, especially uh, in you know the public sector jobs like law enforcement. Uh, I remember getting into a car. I was an FTO a long time ago, and 
we just got, uh, well, we had MDTs, you know, the laptops in the car for a while. And I was training this young cop and, you know, something was wrong with the, the computer in the car. And he was like, well, what do I do? I was like, what the hell are you, what do you mean? What do you do? He was like, well, I can't log on, you know, CCIC and all this other stuff is down NCIC. And I was like, okay, well, you see, see that thing right there? It's a radio. So, I mean, it's, and I'm not knocking younger generations. I think they have a lot to offer, but I agree with you. It's just a different kind of gener. I sound like my dad now, you know, I remember, <laughs> you know, now it's a generational thing, but yeah, the quality candidates, you know, people dropping like flies. I was talking to a buddy of mine in my old agency, the discrepancy, you know, it's probably up where you are, Mario and, and Keith, you know, you know, you have a senior officer on the street with 18 years. Then the next person with seniority has like three or four years. Yeah. Right. So there's a, obviously there's a gap there. Absolutely. <laughs> Huge. Absolutely. So, so what do you think, Mario, I'm going to stick with you again, brother. What do you think some of the, what are some solutions to this? I know it's a big question and I know there's many aspects of it, but what do you think agencies can do now to kind of, to kind of, you know, soften this a little bit? Well, I can think of one, one obvious one. Yeah. You know, as I travel the country doing my presentation, you know, I, I call to the attention of these officers that when you die in the line of duty, there are benefits that are afforded to your family, and mm -hmm. rightfully so. Although no amount of money could ever bring back a loved one. Sure. That we can all we can all agree upon. But if you get permanently injured on the job, you get shit. Yeah. In a lot of these states, you get 66 and two-thirds percent of your pay, half your pay. That's a big discouragement for people that want to come on, come on this job because they're thinking, I'm going to get shot potentially and then get hurt, and then I'm only going to get half my pay. I don't want this job. Yeah. That, that's a big reason why we don't, we're not getting a lot of good candidates. They're aware of this. So one thing they can do is pass my bill that I have up here in Massachusetts to give some protections to these folks. So that way, God forbid, they do get injured permanently. They can at least move on with their lives and take care of their families financially. Absolutely. That is such a good point. I mean, that's a big, a big part of it. Be like people don't get into this job. You both know to get rich, but they, they get into the job to take care of them, their families and themselves. So that's huge, Mario. I know with everything going, I'm a qualified immunity, getting chipped away, all this, all these things. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, brother. Keith, what do you think, my man? What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, were, we were talking about, you know, maybe some solutions or, or kind of a direction to go with some of the problems, you know, with, you know, law enforcement now, especially in the area of retention, uh, not so much retention, well, retention too, but uh, with recruitment. I mean, how man, it's just getting worse, man. I remember when my career, we, we saw ups and downs, like both of you have seen, you know, hills and valleys, but it's just everybody that I talk to, that is still on the job is looking for an exit ramp. I, yeah. I can't, I can't think of one person. I'm not being dramatic. One person that I, and I know a lot of people like both of you, one person that's saying, Oh yeah, I'm having a good time. Or I love what I do. They love what they do, but they're tired of all the crap. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, you, you know, you get all the political infighting um, within the organization sure. And combine that with what's going on out on the streets on a daily basis, and uh, it it can lead you down a slippery slope. It's it's stressful, you know. It's it's bad enough dealing with the public who aren't always happy to meet and greet you, 
but then you go back to the station and you have to deal with, you know, uh, the executive staff um, and, and those folks who have their own, you know, some of them, not all of them, but they have their own agendas and uh, different outside sources that um, impact your ability to do your job. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating. I don't know what the answer is. I've been retired for seven and a half years yeah. now. Um, I had like a, I had a, like a weird career where I, <laughs> I promoted like up, I was a, a commander and then an interim chief. And then when I was in that position for a municipal PD, um, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department took us over. So oh. I thought I was going to ride a desk for the rest of my career. And then in 2004, we got absorbed by Big Brother, um, which is a huge sheriff's department in California. So I got brought onto the, the agency as a, a sergeant again, and I got sent straight to patrol. Wow. Um, yeah, from riding a desk back to pushing a black and white around. So and drinking coffee uh, to stay awake at night. Yeah. So towards the end of my career, you know, I, I just, it's like, man, you know, in California, you can't retire until you're 50. That's the minimum retirement age, no matter how much time you have on. And I'm like, you know, oh dear God, please just let me make it to my 50th birthday. Towards, yeah. towards the end, I started seeing like, you know, the newer generation coming into the profession. And it, I'll tell you, uh, it's a different caliber of people. Um, you know, it's like, what, not, what can I do to help my community? What can I do to be a team player and help the organization? It's, you know, it's all about me. What can you sheriff's department or police department, what can you do for me? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, but I do think that maybe I'm just naive and I talk about this a lot. I, I do think the majority of people out there support law enforcement and first responders. Now, I wish that they would be more vocal than they are, but I I do think the majority of people out there still support police. They're just scared to death to say anything because they don't know if their car is going to get damaged. You can't wear it. You can't put a thin blue line in your car anymore. You can't do any of that. You can't put a flag outside because people are terrified that there's some movement that's going to be on their doorstep. And, but I do think a lot of Americans still report, you know, majority of Americans still support law enforcement. What do you, what do you guys think? Patrick, I'm glad you, I'm glad you just said that because you just jotted my memory. So one of the biggest issues that I have personally, and what I've seen here in this state and in really in New England, um, is politics has hijacked our profession. Yeah, exactly. It really has, you know, in our state, a lot of these mayors in these, in these, these communities have taken this, the chief's job out of civil service and made it a contract job. So what that essentially does is the chief now becomes a puppet for the mayor. And if the mayor it, you know, leans one way, left or right, whatever, they're going to they're gonna influence that department and the leadership of that department in that, in that direction. Like in my city, my mayor was far left-leaning had a Black Lives Matter banner on City Hall, hated the cops, hated the cops. And he single-handedly transformed our, our department to what it is now. And yeah. I've seen this happen in many departments. So that there is, to my opinion, is the biggest problem that we have in our profession. This politics has hijacked our profession. 
Absolutely. And I remember growing up, I think we're all kind of in the same age ballpark, but, um, you know, I remember, you know, polit politicians usually, uh, you know, they support it. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you were on. I remember growing up and, you know, I mean, both sides kind of supported law enforcement. Now it's open season all the way up to a certain person in the white house right now. So they, and I'm, without getting po political, you know, now it's open season. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you fall on as far as politics. And it never used to be that way. I remember growing up, showing my age, watching Walter Cronkite, and he would just report the news and let you decide, you know, let you form an opinion. Now we have opinions shoved down our throat. And unfortunately, a lot of people succumb to that and they just believe everything they hear or see. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, you guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. Now, where can people, uh-oh, where could people, let's talk about really, really quick. Keith was like flicking me off, I think. You were doing something with your hands. <laughs> what are you up to right now, Keith? Tell well, me, brother. What do you got going on right now? You both do a lot. I mean, I know Mario travels all over the place. Tell us what you're doing, Keith. Well, besides talking to Mario multiple times every day on the phone. <laughs> you got to uh, talk to Mario. Look at him. He's cool. He looks like the godfather over there, man. He, yeah. he is. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. Um, yeah. So uh, I won't go into everything because it'll take forever. But um, Mario reached out last year. I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. Basically, it's, it's my story and uh, talking about life before, during, and after law enforcement, um, talking about, you know, being broken, um, hitting rock bottom, and then yeah. resilience, resiliency in the end wins. So um, there was a gal that I used to work with in Southern California, and she got injured on the job. And uh, guess where she went? I guess where she moved to after she medically retired? Phoenix. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, <laughs> Austin. So, so she and Mario are friends. They sit on the uh, Concerns of Police Survivors Board in Massachusetts. Excellent. Together, and Mario was wanting someone to write his story, you know, about his journey. And um, so she's like, "Hey, I got a guy," and uh, she she. Uh, gave Mario my name and contact info. So he reaches out to me. I'm like, who is this guy? And uh, he told me what, you know, he told me what had happened to him. He told me about his career and everything. I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm pretty busy. Um, Cause I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to fly out of state and do some stuff. Um, and he's like, well, let me send you this video. And uh, it's uh, actually Patrick. It's the video that I you sent, sent me. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a powerful video. Uh, my wife and I watched it together. It made me cry. I'm like, this is too amazing, too fantastic of a story not to want to be a part of it. So I agreed to write the book, Gunrunner. It is the Gunrunner, the story of Mario Oliveira. And wow. uh, it was just released last week. It's doing quite well. Um, it's widely available, you know, on Amazon. Uh, okay, I was going to ask that. Walmart.com, Barnes and Noble, you know, the usual. Um, but it's it's really an amazing story. We've been getting some really excellent feedback on it, and 
and and really it's it's a positive message in the end you know it's it's kind of that you know goodness wins over darkness yeah. thing and you know life prevails in the end yeah uh, so it's it's a fantastic story i'm just thankful to mario that he uh you know brought me into the fold and and not only uh mario there's another guy in the book the the trauma center surgeon i won't talk too much about Dave King, but the trauma center surgeon that um, saved Mario's life. Yeah, you were telling me that a little bit. He's got an amazing story himself. Wow. So yeah, so there's that. And then there's this second edition of my first book that was just released um, like two weeks prior to Gunrunner being released. So from Sorrow to Amazing Grace. And then, amazing uh, brother you're doing great work my man and uh jennifer ms. tracy ms jennifer tracy and she I, she is awesome we t- are working uh collaboratively on a new addition to her book from the deepest darkness to the light of hope yeah um and then we have another thing going that i can't talk too much about right now but it's you know, it's amazing how God brings people together. Like he brought us together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't believe uh, in coincidences anymore. I mean, I I, I don't, uh, I believe everything happens for a reason. God intervenes. I know he did in my life to get me to treatment now if, and I know he intervened in in Mario's life too. Now, if people want to reach out to you and then we'll go to Mario, uh, how can they find you Keith? Cause you're doing, um, a, you're doing amazing work, brother. And I'm so you, glad that we finally made this happen. Thank As you. I you. appreciate it. And how, how can people reach out to you, brother? If, if they're pretty were, easy and, to find, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and, um, right. I used to have a Facebook page called, you know, Keith, no tech author. And it's, uh, I changed the title to gun, a uh, gun runner book. So yeah. gun runner book on Facebook, you can actually get ahead, uh, get in touch with Mario or me on Gunrunner Book, the Gunrunner Book page on Facebook. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Mario, what about you, brother? How can people contact you and learn more about you, my friend, and your like amazing Keith, story? Sure. Like Keith, I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a, a nonprofit organization that I founded uh, back in 2013 that is called Violently Injured Police Officers Organization. It's vipo911.org is the site name. Um, reach me there. You can, the main way is uh, through Facebook or LinkedIn, message me and I'll, and I can connect with some of your listeners and provide email addresses, phone numbers, et cetera. Well, Mario and Keith, thank you so much. God bless you both. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Everything we talked about is going to be linked up in the show notes. And you both have my contact information. Well, I think, Mario, you can get my contact information from Keith. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you both. Thank you for serving uh, in this great profession, your input, and the great conversation. And again, God bless you both. God bless you, Patrick. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.